Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. Welcome to Youth Activism 101. So it's a panel to help people and young people get into activism, know where to start, the do's and don'ts, and we've got a great panel here. Um, who will introduce themselves now and we'll get back into some questions. So I'll go with these first on my screen. Ava, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ava. Um, I'm 16 years old and I'm from South East London. And yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm part of um, CML and I'm also part of, I'm one of the founders of um, Not A Trend, which is a... Um, campaign group I actually started off with Simic and um, it's to uh, um, you know stopping to stop performative activism around Black Lives Matter and make sure that we see the same change so that's kind of one of the things that like we've been working on and I've been working on and then I've basically been an activist for like I feel like since about like year seven now I've just been like doing stuff I went to like feminism in schools conferences um, I remember in like year nine I did some activism within my school about um, getting six formers to sign up to vote. So there was just like little bit, bits and bobs here, here and there, but not a trend's kind of my main thing at the moment. So yeah, that's me. Thank you. Um, Molly? Um, hi everyone, I'm Molly. Um, I use she or they pronouns, just in case anyone wants to know. Um, and I've been doing ages. I feel really like weird saying my age, but I'm 28. I'm 28. I'm just gonna. I'll put it out there. Why not? <laughs> um, and um, I organise with a few different groups, but um, mainly with a group called Sisters Uncut. And Sisters Uncut are a direct action group that predominantly work um, around austerity and domestic violence um, and sexual violence and challenging the ways in which harmful state policies directly impact survivors of abuse Um, but increasingly the ways that we work have been much more focused on bringing in things like healing justice and transformative justice to our like movements and our communities um, and also um, We've increasingly, as we've kind of worked together and grown and learned, um, taken on a much more abolitionist framework as well. Um, and like I said, we're a direct action group and I'm happy to chat about what that kind of direct action looks like and how we like perform and do and yeah, engage in direct action later. Thank you. Um, thank you. Hi, I'm Katie, I'm 29, um, and I have done lots of various things um, in, in my life, but currently I work at um, a rape crisis centre in their training and prevention team. So I deliver sexual violence prevention in schools, which usually comes under sex education. Um, and within that, we do um, a lot of uh, campaigns around how part of education is also pushing for the change that we need to happen to stop sexual violence so um, seeing kind of like action and campaigning and challenging the status quo as inherently part of that education and um, I also recently just got into trade union organizing um, and unionizing the gender-based violence sector I'm also a campaign coach at the advocacy academy um, 
also Molly does that as well. So supporting young activists to, um, yeah, challenge um, oppressive structures in whatever ways they want to. Um, so yeah, they're the kind of things that, that, that I do at the moment. Thank you. Um, yes. Hi, um, I'm Jess. I'm 21, and I like created and headed up the decolonizing Hearts in Essex campaign. So I, um, when it comes to activism, I would say like I've been involved in like different forms of activism. I've always been in like really involved in anti-racist work and like work to do with, like feminism. But I'd never really have called myself an activist or been like, oh yeah, this is like a thing that I do it was just that I cared about a lot of stuff I was angry about a lot of stuff and I was doing a lot of like reading and things about a lot of stuff which is how I got into the route of wanting to do my campaign so that's been my main like piece of activism but other than that it's been like so I'm an actor so I do a lot of like performance work to do with activism in those kind of ways so this was my first time of actually like creating change outside of the arts and doing like a play to show like something really bad and trying to educate people so yeah that's my that's my activism. Um, that I've made 
from like common interests. Great, thank you. My headphones are being weird, so I'll show you all on my phone. But while I do that, um, Molly, how did you get into activism? If you didn't hear me say that. I, I heard <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I guess I have lots of overlaps to both Ava and Katie. Um, I was like a super angry, loud teenager. Um, like I was very loud about the things that I cared about um, to my detriment at times. Like I was very much the person similar to you, Ava, being like, I'm angry about this thing and this, this, the lunch halls are wrong and the, the, the food that they're serving is not okay. Um, and my school um, was like a very, very problematic school in that um, they made decisions to expel like significant chunks of the non-white population um, when we changed headmasters and there were like big, like I wouldn't call them protests, but they were, you know, what, what we thought were protests at the time um, when we were maybe like 14. Um, like pushing, trying to push back against um, some of the harmful ways that the school was acting. And, and then I, I kind of lost it a bit. And I think um, like we talk about this a little bit at the Advocacy Academy, but when sometimes you go to uni, it's okay to take a step back. And I think I took a bit of a step back from activism at university and then kind of found my way back there. Um, uh, through doing, I started doing outreach work with sex workers in Coventry, um, which was near the university that I went to. And from there began working in frontline support when I left um, my undergrad. So I worked on helplines and worked at rape crisis centres and that really fueled this, this again, this anger inside me about um, the, the violences that exist in the world and the ways in which structural factors really impact the lives of some of the most marginalized people. So I did a lot of outreach work with um, drug and alcohol users, sex workers, um, people who were without homes. And I think that really pushed me into engagement with um, particularly direct action groups. It was seeing the fact, I, I, I got a lot really frustrated at the ways in which I thought that a lot of organizing groups weren't fighting for change in the way that I saw sisters fighting for change. It was one of the reasons that I joined them. And from there, it, from like I think other people will probably say things similar, but once you're in one organizing space, it's, it's it feels easier to move to different spaces because like Kate you said you make friends and those connections encourage you to be in different spaces. Definitely I agree I think once you oh good the audio is okay <laughs> got my phone up here as well so <laughs> yeah I think once you get into one space it's definitely easier to move through that through the people you know and things like that and I think what you're saying about taking a break and a step back from activism at times just to focus on other things is good and definitely go follow on from like avoiding things like burnout and taking that self-care to like try and find and reevaluate what your priorities are and what you actually want to fight for. Jess how did you get into like activism and campaigning? So uh, I feel like I'm kind of different to like what everyone else has said. So when I was at school, um, I 
So I grew up in London until I was seven, and I moved to the area I live in now, which is Bishop Stortford, which is a predominantly white area. Me and my brother were the first two black children in our primary school, and in the second primary school, we had two after that in the same town. It was kind of like a similar thread for secondary school. So in order for me to survive, the technique that I kind of took on was to be a bit passive when it came to wanting to speak out and step up when it came to like things to do with race. So I was happy to get on board with things to do with feminism because I went to an all girls school and that was a very big thing that we pushed at the school. So I was really happy to get behind that and like lend a voice to that because I was never shy. I was always quite confident, but the passiveness when it came to wanting to talk about race was a thing that stuck with me until around sixth form. And in sixth form, there were quite a few racist incidents which occurred that couldn't really be ignored. And that sort of ignited this feeling of just disgust and discomfort and anger inside of me but because again I was one of few black people at my school I didn't have anyone that I could really relate to about it or that I could really discuss these kind of things with and understand why I was so annoyed or what to do with this anger um and my parents as great as they are like they didn't grow up in Britain they didn't have the same sort of um thought process when it came to racism as I did like their generation tends to have a sort of survival kind of um instinct when it comes to being in this country whereas I feel like a lot of us in our generation are more about not surviving but thriving and actually making ourselves like um a world that we'd want to live in and making Britain a best place which I'm honestly so proud of when it comes to our generation so then I went to university and I went to university in London uh where I met so many great people and it was so much more diverse and I became friends with a girl called Deanna and she introduced me to, and she's studied history. She's got a master's in history now as well. She's done a lot of like specializing in black history. And she gave me my first book to do anti-racism. She gave me my second book after that. And she showed me all these videos and like debates and stuff on the internet. And I started seeing all of this stuff and joining all these communities online and talking to other um, black people who were also really interested in anti-racism work to do with like anti-racism for like in regards to black people. And through there, the passion grew. I had like, I still had the rage. I didn't really know what to do with it. And then again, during like this quarantine period with um, the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a lot of, as like Ava said, a lot of people sort of jumping on the trend. And I've never, I, it annoyed me. It again made me really angry. And I was just like, okay, cool. So you've all said you want to make a difference. You've all said you want to change things, but how are we actually going to do that? And I felt very, very lost very confused and very upset and just didn't know how to take this anger and take all of this learning that I've been doing over the past couple of years and all of this all the other activism that I've been a part of and joined in with with other people and was like okay well what change can I do for people like me people who are growing up in the area that I grew up in like I have a younger sister who's six years younger than me so I thought you know what let me just see what I can do let me see what I can change and decided to take um my campaign to my school went to start a campaign group and that's kind of how I got into it. It was just like lived experience, which then led to rage and confusion, which then the community aspect of it, of meeting people and like learning from these people allowed me to channel this rage and this confusion and make it into something that was actually actively making a difference and actively making change for people like me in areas that I grew up in and hopefully in the future, other areas similar to mine and other schools in my area. So yeah, that's how I got into activism thank you and thank you all for sharing you know the different routes that you've taken to get into activism and campaigning and changing the things that kind of got you angry which i think is definitely channeling rage is often you know a good route into activism and campaigning and you know getting involved in those sorts of um 
pushes and drives for change. And with that, like, obviously there'd be challenges you face. So I kind of want to know what sort of some of the challenges you might face either from others or from your own lives or things like that. So um, Katie, if you have an answer, I'm sorry, I put you on the spot there. Um, I think the like challenge that I've been thinking about um, more recently is how like within organizing campaigns it's very um, it's inevitable that we will replicate some of the oppressive structures that exist outside of the organizing space and so I think one of the challenges is, is that we often think about wins and then when we fight when we're working towards this win we sometimes lose sight of how important it is that the process itself is a place which is trying as hard as it can to dismantle kind of those structures that that it's a competition or that there's someone to beat or that there's someone that's going to like fall down as part of that journey and so I think the challenge is often the fact that um, the winning which is to create a community of people um, who are like working through harm who are trying to like unlearn our own systems of oppression that we have within ourselves and support each other um that that is a win in itself but it often doesn't feel like one and we don't celebrate it as one because our win is usually something like um getting them to change like a policy or um having um like better recruitment more representative recruitment practices or whatever it is that we're fighting for or to abolish rape from happening which is the the end goal of a lot of the work that i do so i think one of the challenges is how do we continue to support each other when if we use like a capitalist framework of what winning is that we lose a lot as as people who are campaigning and and it often feels that like we're not winning and that the people that we're against are just this all-powerful being that we'll never be able to topple and i think when we kind of are able to be nourished from the spaces in which we organize themselves i feel that we can continue for longer without burnout so basically the long story short the challenge is burnout and the challenge is how do we organize together when inevitably we've all learned um different ways of um oppressing others and we've all probably been oppressed by people within our movements and how we manage to accept that that is an inevitability but practice working through that harm in a way which isn't cancelling people which isn't punishing people but actually is about um, replicating the world that we want to live in within our movements themselves so yeah I think that's part of the challenge for me is still holding on to this idea that I have this goal I work towards it and if I don't meet that goal then I've lost and everything has like been been a waste of time when actually that couldn't be like further from the truth so I think that can be that can be a challenge. Yeah, I completely agree with with that. And yeah, the fact that we have to kind of evaluate what winning means and what types of different wins there are within activism and campaigning. Um, Molly, what are your thoughts on some of the challenges you might have faced throughout your journey? There are so, so many. Um, and I think that that's really normal for people that do activism, like there are personal challenges and then there are like those broader structural ones. And I think like direct action in particular always feels particularly exhausting, especially tiring. Um, 
and it feels a lot of the time, at least in the direct action that I've been all, all involved within, it's it can feel quite slow, but then suddenly very fast paced, suddenly really urgent, and you're building towards that like that end protest, that end demonstration, that end occupation of the building. And I think part of that push and that energy comes from knowing how bad the world is. So everyone within Sisters or the vast percentage of people within Sisters are like either survivors or frontline workers, people with lived experiences of the, the violence of the current system that we're living in, the violence of austerity, the violence of um, domestic or sexual violence. And I think because of that, maybe sometimes we move too quickly. We move to a place of burnout or we move to a place of kind of like absolute exhaustion and distrust. And I think a learning for me, like to kind of through those challenges has been that it's okay to move slowly, that like Kate said, wins look like so many different things. But also something that I think about a lot in my day-to-day work, I, I'm a I'm doing a PhD at the moment is about kind of like the ways in which easy solutions are actually rooted in like carceral politics and I think that's been like thinking that through and thinking through the ways in which um, kind of solutions when we like give in to an easy solution that those solutions can be so harmful I think doing the reflection on that and also the ways that some of the, the easier solutions that I've pushed for have maybe like not been the ones that we needed I think that's all been really challenging. Um, and Katie has just said, would I be able to say what carceral politics are? Yes. Um, so carceral um, basically means, um, or is a synonym for prison or imprisonment, but can also refer to like a broader politics of kind of exclusion and kind of lo- locking up. And um, so like a carceral, carceral politics would be politics that either embolden um kind of prison-based systems or politics which kind of foster the kind of underlying beliefs in kind of prisons and imprisonment and kind of the ability to lock people away. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think everything you said there is such, like, it can be a big challenge, I think, and it's one that I guess you just takes a lot of reflection and evaluation as you go. Thank you. Um, Jess, are there any challenges you might have faced or um, throughout your journey? I think a challenge, like it's, I wouldn't say it's a minor, but one for me that's like more of a personal challenge is when it comes to speaking to the people in charge and the people that you need to be on side to make the changes is um me personally tone policing myself so it's like I will try naturally in life I feel like again it's going back to that sort of trying to protect myself by giving the most watered down most acceptable version of whatever it is that I'm trying to say but oftentimes like you cannot fully get across the message of what you're trying to say or get across the the reason for you undertaking these actions and the reason for your campaign while still tone policing yourself like you have to be honest you have to be brutally honest and sometimes yeah it will turn people in the wrong direction it might make people not necessarily want to listen to you and it does make them shut down but it's like you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing the people that you're doing the work for a disservice sometimes by tone policing yourself and not being brutally honest and I think for me for example with this campaign it's been conversations with a lot of my old teachers from school so again it's like young Jess looking at these teachers like oh I don't want to say anything that's going to upset the situation but it's like 
it's not about upsetting the situation like I need to shake the table I need to upset the situation in order to like break the structures that are already there and create the new structures that need to be in place to make sure that everyone is like thriving and surviving so yeah I think that's it tone policing has been my biggest challenge thus far that I can think of currently yeah couldn't agree more um thank you for sharing um Ava what are some of the challenges you might have faced um well I'd say to start off with like challenges for myself I think I can often be quite lazy and it's sometimes just like even like people talk about burnout I'm already burnt out before I've even done anything and I think it's the genuine like like trying to start even if it is just sending off that email I find that so hard to do I actually can't do it sometimes that's kind of why sometimes like Simi do it oh sorry Simi but yeah like I just stuff like that I find really hard to like sit down at my desk and like do that kind of a lot of the more admin stuff I'm quite good at the talking and the and the going out and actually doing it but like when it comes to the kind of that kind of stuff I and that's like sometimes the important stuff to do I have like an idea and I'm sometimes not great at getting there so that's really one of my personal challenges that I probably just need to work on myself but another challenge I'd say that has been almost like a more of a barrier is once again kind of talking to the right people so like authority getting them to listen is just it just feels so tiring the mix of not being able to send an email in the morning it's just it's just like it seems so tiring when people aren't listening and you just want to like you want to push on but you've got to get through this you've got to go talk to these people to be able to make something happen that you want to happen even if it's something small like getting a room for your club or you know or something bigger than sending an email to an MP or something it's it's doing that and that I find quite difficult also making sure you're talking to the right people sometimes who are for your cause and you know they're for your cause but they aren't sometimes listening themselves because they've got so much going on and you really want them to be there but you it's it's hard to get the right people to be there for you to help you support. I find that quite hard as well. So yeah, those are really my challenges. So yeah. Yeah, I think those are very valid challenges. And like following on from your um, thing of trying to get those those in authority and the people in power to listen, like what would your advice be on like trying to get taken seriously by the people in power who you really need to sway? Yeah, to you, Ava. Um, gosh, I'm not very good at it. I'd say, I think it's, there's like, you have to get in the mixture of getting, I think it's being able to construct a good written argument, which sounds so boring. And like, so like, oh, why do I need to be able to do that? But I think if you can put down what you want concisely, and but still having all of the passion through it on paper, then I think that can really help sometimes to get them to listen. And if it, and also looking at ways to make it look like, well, this is actually quite good for you as well. Even though you've got to do those things to get your point across and it's annoying, but it does work. So yeah, that would probably be my advice to any activists who are looking to get people in charge to listen because they really don't like to. <laughs> yeah, definitely it can be difficult. Thank you, Ava. And um, Katie, I know you've, um, you and also Molly have worked with the Advocacy Academy, so you have a lot of experience with working with young people. Um, and what would what sort of advice do you give them, and would you give to us about 
getting helping young people in particular get um taken seriously by those in power and like you know the people who have the authority Yeah. Are you waiting for me to go, Molly? <laughs> um, it's so it's really really difficult to um, it's really difficult to say, and I think maybe so. I've gone through a journey in my life where, when I was like sixteen, I was a huge fan of Nick Clegg and was like loved the Liberal Democrats and thought that they were the best thing ever, and I was very into like mainstream politics and then the student fees and the coalition of the conservative government happened in like the early 2010s or whatever and was like oh my god I can't trust these people and that was kind of when I realized that the avenue of trying to appeal to the uh, good nature of those with power is not really going to get me or the people that I care about where they want so I feel like I feel like we will only be disappointed if we try and, and use the systems which in themselves are causing some of the harm that we're trying to change to help us change them. It's part of the process and I definitely still do it now. Like, you know, I write emails to the CEO of my organization with like a list of what I think needs to change. She often doesn't reply to me. So it's kind of like I haven't worked out how to do that. And my experience has been that it comes with great difficulty. And like you said, Ava, I think there's something quite sickly about the fact that we often have to appeal to people like self-interest and and I know that that's true because when people challenge me on the power that I hold then often the reasons that I unlearn um, oppressive behaviors or the reasons that I let go of power that I have is because someone has called me in on it and I don't want to be viewed in a way which is negative right and so and I don't want to hurt people as well not everyone has the second bit but <laughs> um, I think you either appeal to the fact that someone doesn't want to cause harm in the world and you have to know that about them and say, well, what you're doing is harmful and if you don't want to cause harm, stop doing it. Or you have to appeal to the side of them, which is, well, you make loads of money and you will make less money if you continue acting in this oppressive way. And that's kind of working more towards the fact of like making capitalism work for you. And none of those methods are bad. They're, they're all just like a diversity of tactics. But I think that there is something to think about like ethically and morally where your line is, because there might be times where you don't want to kind of give up the fact that you think that person should be wanting to do the change that you want anyway, just as a matter of being a human being. Um, and there are times where you're like, actually it is worth it to, to do the very like well-written uh, whatever to, to, to make the thing happen because it's urgent and it needs to happen now so that people stop getting harmed right now. And so I think it really depends on what you're fighting for and who you're trying to appeal to, but it is horrible because like both you've described um, Jessica and Ava, like we, people in power often gas gaslight us I don't know if you've heard that term where they will say that they listen and that they care about the issue that you're bringing but then you just get silenced or they do like an open statement of how they agree and that they've got this action plan and then you don't see any of the action and it feels very disheartening because you're like why did I just waste all that time in conversation with you and then the change isn't happening um so yeah it, it is difficult and it's very like disheartening like sometimes the change does happen and it's amazing, but I think we have to enter conversations with people with power, not giving too much of ourselves away because 
um, it can be really hurtful when they when they let us down. So it's kind of like finding out where your line is of how much you're going to give based on the fact that that person might not be fully trustworthy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a great answer and definitely um, a good to consider before you enter any like kind of talks or any actions that involve talking to authority or people in power. So yeah, Molly, did you have any thoughts on that? I do, and I'm really sorry if I echo some of the things that Katie said, but my door went during during what Katie was saying, and I have a very loud rescue dog who just went, um, so if I say anything that Katie said, I'm really sorry, because um, I got distracted by uh, barking. Um, but I think everything that you were saying, I would absolutely like say yes, yes to all of that. Um, I think, I mean, it's something that I did so often as a young person trying to get into activism is that I, um, I like wanted to please and I'm an absolute people pleaser. And I think it's a challenge to overcome, especially like, like when you're a young person and like wanting to do something and I don't know, it's something that I, I did all of the time. And I think, like um, Jess, you mentioned earlier, like tone policing as well. And I think that's it's something that I think you know people do as young people. Um, and I think I, often when we're doing the advocacy academy, like one of the biggest hurdles is to encourage the young people that we're working with to send the email. And that's something that you mentioned, Ava, like the struggle to send the email. And actually, I you said that you said that um, you used the word lazy to describe yourself around sending that email and I would never I don't think it's laziness I think that sending emails to people with significantly more power and sway power in all of the different ways that power manifests it's, it, it's scary and that that feeling that we're just going to get shot down after putting so much care and attention into something that we believe so passionately about that especially um, kind of when it's something that like ties in with our lived experience like we don't want to be shut down because it's painful. So I think sometimes the biggest thing that we do when working with the young people is like kind of encouraging. And it's something that I would say to young people getting into activism is back yourself, like back your lived experience because your lived experience is what makes you so much more powerful in those spaces. Again, like power in a different, different way. Um, like the, the types of, and when through the Advocacy Academy, I've learned a lot um, about the different types of power and there's like relational power which is the power that we have in our relationships and I think so many of those people that have like what we typically describe as power they have no relational power nobody likes them and I think often as young people young people have many young people are situated within communities um, not all of them absolutely but there are communities there and I think backing backing ourselves and trusting ourselves and using that relational power as and when we can is I think some of the biggest advice that I would give alongside like like all of the things that Katie said which were so beautifully articulated and like I loved everything that you said. Thank you I think that's really good advice um, that kind of the earlier you learn it the um, easier things are I think. Um, Jess, what were some of um, your thoughts on getting taken seriously and uh, when to draw the line on whether you want to keep on um, appealing to those people or not? Um, I think 
the point of relational power was a really good point. I've never heard heard it um, said in that way before. So it just sort of rung a bell in terms of like, yeah, that's definitely like how I felt to go about it when I was doing it. It was a relational power. Like it was finding other people who had been through similar situations and bringing them together and finding out their experiences, taking that, making the letter, the testimonies, everything. And then again, because the letter was made public and we did it in the form of a petition, because I think the public pressure on the school and the public pressure on the people in power was a really good way to go with it because I don't want to say shaming them, but it wasn't a way that they felt the shame of sort of being seen by everyone in the community and wider communities because all of the people that were in that group were then sharing it to their friends. They got their university friends, their friends who were from our hometown, from the next town over, whatever. And it's just like that sort of widespread, look at this school, look what they've done. They kind of feel that the onus is now on them to fix it and the onus is on them to actually do the work because it's people know they're being held accountable by the general public and by the people who have relationships with us, those who wrote the letter um, and who gave their testimonies. So I think, yeah, it was utilising those relationships, utilising the public, utilising like people's, as much as we said, like appealing to the higher ups moral sort of ground. I think it's appealing to the general public's morals and sort of saying, this is what we went through. This is what life is like for us. Understand that. How does that make you feel? You feel bad about it? Cool. Sign a petition. Get behind us. Get involved. Like it's getting that public engagement. Um, and even getting the engagement from the staff who were within the school who also saw the letter through their own relationships that they might have had with ex-students who they then saw were sharing the letter. It's like getting as many people engaged sort of shares the emotional weight of having to give so much of yourself to the campaign like I feel like I didn't I didn't feel um like I had to give too much of myself away because it was like as a collective we were doing it there was 40 of us sharing the weight of of this this mammoth task of like changing education in our old school so I think yeah having a community there um using that community's power using like accountability is the best way to go about it because it's it's hard to do things on your own. It's like, I don't think I would have been able to do it on my own. And the support that I received from the group and the support that we were able to give each other meant that we could really push it further than it ever could have gone. So yeah, community, I think is so important. So, so important when it comes to getting things done. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I really like your point about, you know, public, tr- uh, public pressure and then using that community one to help get your goal but also to help you each other and yourselves through that process so it's not so draining again avoiding burnout which is like so definitely um an activist like one you know a really big risk and um something you want to avoid so i want to know what some of your advice for avoiding burnout and um engaging in self-care to help avoid that while you're trying to go in of these fights which are often quite like long-haul fights so it's not like you can end it and then oh back to normal so um Ava didn't know if you have any thoughts on that um like just my kind of general advice would be to try take time away from it like you've got to like plan your day out properly think you can't think I like do I think it's getting stuff done, starting it, getting it done. But then you know it's done, so it's not dragging out all day. I often think that I like let things pile up and pile up and pile up, and then I'm just like, I've got so much to do, whether it's school, whether it's activism, 
whether it's literally meeting up with friends like it's all of these things that you've got to allow like think about how you're gonna you know section out the day and actually making sure you do it's i'm so stupid getting a proper night's sleep because i know that i could spend all night on twitter all night on instagram either just like looking through what's going on in the world because i'm like oh my god something might happen while i'm asleep and it can be things it can be to do with anything and i think if my 24 7 of my life is just hearing politics and activism i I know my parents as i said are like quite pissed as well like they'll come around and it'll be like politics and it's like you want you need to get away from it and it's like you have to choose how you get away from it but even if it's just for like you know you you have it's for even if it's just for that like hour a day when you don't think about it at all i think it's so important to like take time away because i say even like when i'm out with friends you think oh I'm, I'm away from it but I know if I see Sydney something's gonna turn up or if I see my other friends I, there will be a conversation like even if it's mixed with all of the other conversations of like what goes on and being like a young person it's like it will pop up and it's you really do need to take a step back from it because otherwise it will consume your life and I think I've definitely been at that point before where I had no balance between what I was doing and it meant I was doing nothing ultimately and that is then really problematic so yeah that would be my advice just take an actual not a fake break not a lie on your bed and look at instagram about activism break like an actual activist break like even if you have to read like the worst like chick flick book in the world i don't know some trashy movie don't analyze it watch it and take that moment away so yeah that's what i would say I think that's really good advice. Yeah, definitely taking a break. Um, Molly, what were your some of your tips on avoiding burnout? God, I was I had the question. I was like, oh no, please don't ask me because I've been like Katie can attest to this. Like the burnout that I've had has been bad because I have a real issue of taking on too many things and not saying no. Um, and actually, maybe that's that's the advice is that sometimes I, I think I had this, uh, and it's it's eased as I've got older. But knowing that it is okay to not do all the things. And we think, yeah, that really taps into some of the stuff that Ava was saying. Like, it's okay to take that break. It is okay to say no to the thing. The opportunity to do the thing is is not it's not as important as you are. And there will be other spaces and other opportunities to do this organizing. And I think um, there's an, an an activist whose work I look to often around care and her name's Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasinha and I can pop her name in the chat um, for people later but she's a disability justice activist from the states and she's written this incredible book called Care Work that I actually found really recently but or came to really recently but she has a lot of really beautiful conversations online as well and really like talks about the fact that if we look and learn from disability justice like we can um, find ways of like instilling care into our organizing work and seeing care as radical and like care within our communities and and for ourselves is so essential and I know that like self-care has been super heavily commodified by like neoliberalism and I think you know there are all of these corporations out there that make so much money from the marketization of self-care and self-care doesn't have to cost like self-care can be 
kind of finding and creating friendships where you know that you don't have to talk about politics and where your worth isn't just about your performance and the fact that you are an activist because we're all worth so much more than our ability to produce um, political work, whether that's like all of the different forms of political. And I think for me, like figuring out my worth and that my worth wasn't tied to what I do has been a really like um, really important thing for me. So I think if maybe that would be my number one tip. I really like um, your point there. I think you articulated it so well. I think it's so um, such an important thing to acknowledge and recognise. And your point about you know there you don't have to do all the things. You don't have to do all the opportunities, which especially the fact that sometimes you know things are quiet and then you'll get a bunch of opportunities at once and it's it's not gonna run or it's not gonna leave like there'll be other things that will happen in the future and you don't have to say yes to five things at once because you think you need to make all the change right now it's about like taking your time and um, getting things done at a good pace but then also you know taking time for yourself which I think is really important. Katie, did you have any tips? Um, I guess there's like two sides. One is the one that people probably find more useful, which is like practical things I do. <laughs> and then the stuff which I think you can only come to for your own process is like thinking about how um, like all of us are indispensable, but it should never be that one of us having a day off means that the whole movement falls apart because um, a, the, in, um, I don't know if anyone's read Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown, um, who um, writes a lot about like the, the inner workings of movements and processes themselves. But they do this analogy of um, a game in like one of the World Cup semifinals where Germany was playing Brazil. Um, but Brazil had two players um, who were like their star players. Neymar was one of them. I can't remember the other one. But they both got injured in the quarterfinal or one of the earlier games. So on the day of the semifinal when Brazil played Germany, the, their two star players were injured, so couldn't play. Whereas Germany had had injuries as well. But the German team, they didn't have any players who were as good as Neymar or the other star player but they had a lot of like okay players but it meant that they could swap out any 11 players in any formation and they would still be able to play really well whereas Brazil kind of fell apart because um, their two star players weren't there obviously there's a bigger social context as to why Germany can have 11 players that can all play together and Brazil can't but if we kind of think about it in terms of structures of collectives basically what they were saying is that often in collectives there are like a few people doing like a lot of work or being very vocal who then begin to get resentful because they're like why is no one else talking why is no one else doing anything then they become burnt out and then they take a step back and then things aren't done whereas any one of us should be able to have a break and for things to still keep rolling for that momentum to keep going so I think self-care and burnout is again a lot about the structure of the collective itself um, and I and I agree with you Jessica that it's much easier to do it in a collective it's much easier to do anything in a collective because you have more space to do that but then i also know like individual particularly like young activists who do whole campaigns just by themselves and kind of feel fine about that and i think power to those people too but i think as you if you want to do this for a long time being having communities is key 
Um, and then more practically, I just turn my phone off for like days on end sometimes. Um, I think that's the, one of the best things you can do. And just the classic stuff like going for a walk in the park, like nothing major, just like the, watching Netflix to, and looking for trigger warnings that there'll be nothing about something which might make you feel a certain way. And just really carving out that time for yourself and, and valuing the things that make you feel um, grounded and, and calm and thinking about how long term that will keep you in social justice work for longer is by keeping yourself nourished um, because if we don't do that work then it's more likely that we will retreat from the work earlier um, so yeah thank you I really I liked all those points you made there I think all of them were fantastic and um, really need to be taken into account Yes, I know you spoke about um, how your community helped you, but were there any other tips you had on um, uh, avoiding burnout and self-care? Um, so when it comes to the avoiding burnout part, I feel like when I first started the campaign, I fell into like my normal habit of kind of like, I'm going to give this my all and then just like you know whatever else is happening in my life is kind of irrelevant until I finish giving this my all but then I kind of clocked that this was just not gonna be like a one-week thing that I could give it my all and then like sleep for like two weeks afterwards and recover so I realized I needed to take the time out so I started meditating in the mornings because I think my brain like is just constantly going with so many different thoughts about like okay what can I do today to do this and what can I do about that and who do I need to message and what email do I have to reply to and it's just like too much because I never get to sort of just sit and be still so like adding the meditation in the morning let me sort of visualize how I wanted to go through my day and just have that moment just to reset and say okay cool like I'm just I'm sitting here I'm fine like I don't owe anyone anything right now like let me just do me and then from there it's like I plan my day like I'll journal I'll do like a brain dump and just like write whatever's in my head on a piece of paper and then just like screw it up and throw it away and call it a day with that and then take my time don't respond to messages if I don't feel like I'm up to it like I think it's part of the meditations is being able to now check in on myself and understand how I'm feeling and what I am capable of doing that day and on certain days I don't want to talk to anyone like I just don't want to communicate with you guys because I know that certain communications will lead to me having a conversation about whatever it is that I'm working on or about something that's going to drain me emotionally and not allow me to sort of recover fully so I can do my best work at a later point when I'm ready. So like the meditations, taking time to exercise as well and just like do things that aren't related at all in any way, shape or form to activism or to race and like race and racism and anti-racism to look at. Um, it like, yeah, just staying away from the books, staying away from the movies and the TV shows because during like the Black Lives Matter movement as well, what movement, while it was happening really intensely, Netflix had their Black Lives Matter advertisements on and it was just like every single time I went on Netflix it was just showing me all of these images and I was like oh my gosh I can't even escape through TV so again like Ava said it was reading those like trash books and just sitting there and being like okay this is a fun story about nothing that I'm just going to fill my brain with for a while so I think it's yeah being able to check in with yourself and say okay this is where I'm at I don't need to do this today like these people will still be here for me to respond to at a later point if I don't take care of myself now, I can't help all of the people that I want to help. I can't run this like community activism project. I can't do anything. So let me just take today and yeah, the practices every day as well with the morning like routine is super helpful, I think.
yeah. I really like that point of like having that routine to kind of get out of that headspace because I, I know I find myself like composing emails in my head as I'm going through it. even if I'm like not actually typing them I'm like okay when I when I get to my laptop I'll just write this and it's like no stop writing that email <laughs> do something else but I think what, all of what you've said is really important I know Sophie did a session this morning on self-care and burnout which the audio was recorded so there are more tips from there but I think uh, avoiding burnout and like practicing those self-care getting that in those practices in early on will help your use, uh, your movement uh, carry on in the long term, like what Katie said and what Jess said. So I think that's really important. Um, moving on to a, like a slightly different vein, um, often through activism, you kind of, you learn from a lot of different people and you pick up these tips and things like that. So I wanted to know like who or what have you learned from as you've kind of, gone through your activist channels like is it a, a leading figure or someone you know things like that um molly did you have anyone that comes to mind oh so many people um like everyone that i worked with at rape crisis south london so i learned so much from kate Eastall, um a friend of mine francesca who's the who's my line manager and also my friend for a few years i learned so much from her about Navigating tension in working relationships with friends, and I think that to me, the ability to engage in conflict is something that I think I personally struggle with, and I know so many people struggle with, and I learn so much from her about that. I learn constantly from everyone in the advocacy academy. Um, in terms and like my my girlfriend, um, just constant learning from her. She's a phenomenal force of a human, um, and then like I also learn from like broader movement struggles so I I learned from people like Adrian Marie Brown from people like Angela Davis and kind of Beth Ritchie Ruthie Gilmore who are um kind of black feminist writers who write about carceral politics and prison abolition um like we all know Angela Davis I'm sure but um Ruthie Gilmore and Beth Ritchie are like they're they're forces that I think are akin to her and um kind of I think I think like when I when I found um, Adrian Rebrown, I think a lot of my thinking shifted as well. So she has an incredible podcast called um, How to Survive the End of the World with her sister Autumn Brown, um, which I can link in the chat as well. And they have it. They have so many people. It's where um, I like learned about Leah Lakshmi, kept Nurse Amaris in her, and there were just so many um, incredible forces of humans on that podcast. And they link. They're really good about lifting people up and kind of um, raising other voices that aren't their own and being like, yeah, I'm not the expert on this and this person is amazing and this person is amazing. So in terms of like a, a tangible resource, I think for me that was a really, really useful one. And, you know, I just love, I think, as we all do, like love a podcast, <laughs> especially when we're busy people. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think that's all great sources. And I think, yeah, it's definitely important to raise up people's voices and kind of there's always more to learn I think so admitting that you don't know you're not the wealth of knowledge on a particular topic is completely valid and okay and it needs to be I think done more in my opinion anyway um Katie was there any like people or places that you have like learned from especially 
Um, I think I'm not very good at like remembering the names of like writers or articles or things that I've read. But I think if I think about learning in general, the definitely the most learning that has happened for me is from other people taking the time to like generously call me in on times when I've like um caused harm or um you know done things which are microaggressions or said something that was racist or said something that was classist or said something that was like homophobic which um is possible even as a queer person right is to have internalized things which mean that you can still harm other people um and I think that most of that learning has come from people taking the time to do that and I think if you're on uh, particularly like a white activist or a middle class activist or a straight activist I think our job with those moments of learning is to have those difficult conversations with other white people or other people who hold that um, element of privilege or other people that we see causing that harm in our families and our social circles to kind of reduce the work that those same people will have to do again and again for everyone in their life and so I think for me learning has come more from that moment of like you know, well, you know, it, it gets easier as not easier, but I've unlearned oh, the, the response of like, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm such a terrible person and blah, 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 blah. And actually learning to be like, okay, this has happened. That person trusts you enough to come and bring this to you. Um, think about that, do your own reading, learn from it um, and then move forward and also use that learning so that when you see someone else enact that same thing, don't just stay silent on it and be like, oh God, that reminds me of that time I felt really embarrassed because someone told me I did a wrong thing. Be like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to start a conversation with that person about have you thought about why how that might make someone feel or someone once told me that this make this this means this certain thing and I just thought I'd share that knowledge with you so I think often those learning moments for me have come from just like really random places in different situations rather than one like person that I uplift as someone I've learned a load from although like lots of the people that Molly mentioned I recognized their names and you know I'm sure I could put a list together if people if people were interested <laughs> thank you so much for that i think yeah definitely admit um often you do the most learning from when you've like made a fault and about spreading that knowledge on to other people so you could admit that oh i did this wrong in the past as well so you know you might just want to think about this and opening that dialogue of it's okay to make mistakes just like let's learn from it um jess did you have any um anybody in particular or any source of where you've done a lot of like learning or um I wouldn't say there was like one source that I could like pinpoint in particular and like Casey it's again the names on kind of like um who who did I read what was that like it's just kind of like I've seen um I've read like books and seen like articles and things that people like tweet so I feel like a lot of people when we talk about Twitter, we describe it as an echo chamber. But I feel like I've curated a really lovely echo chamber of my own on Twitter where it's like I follow all of these people that I find to give like the information in the they just give me so much information, so much knowledge, like they educate me on so many different things just through like what they might retweet onto my timeline and like other people they might shout out or like I see people publishing like their dissertation papers or like just random thoughts that they've had and then from seeing that I'll want to research it further so for example like uh Shantae is one person I follow on Twitter who I absolutely love because she just 
really highlights a lot of stuff to do with anti-racism highlights puts a lot of um writers and great thinkers on my timeline that I can look at and again Kalechi Okafor I don't know if you know of her but she's um got a podcast which I absolutely love and she is one person who's really taught me about getting past that barrier of tone policing yourself because she really does not care what you have to say about how she's going to say it she will say it to you how it needs to be said and you just have to accept that and that's I've learned a lot from her in that way and she's just amazing and um recently I had I got a mentor who to do with like anti-racism work in like education who I just met through um my school putting us in contact and she's taught me so much about how to get things done and how to organize um activism within school like my friends from uni my friend is Mara she did a project called Rafa with um so with some other people in my union some academics which was to do with um universities and racism in universities and how like students um sort of feel about how the university handles racism and she did that whole project and I didn't really understand that that was a thing that people could do until she told me that it was happening and I was like oh right so we can make change that way by like doing these like surveys and talking to people and like doing these focus groups and then we can take the take the change there but it didn't really work out well in the end because the university was not receptive of any of the changes that needed to be put in place in order to actually make a difference but the work that happened up until that point was amazing and was things like it it excited me inspired me I thought I would have loved to be involved in that if I'd known it was a thing um Akala I love him super cool guy like he he's a he's a musician he's a rapper but he's also like an amazing activist and it was kind of like realizing that you don't have to just be one thing just by being a human you are entitled to be whatever you want to be and if you want to be a rapper and an activist so be it and I was like oh cool so I don't have to just be like one thing I can be an activist alongside that and do like whatever so yeah I think those are people I've really learned from and another girl Hannah Gaffey friend from uni I think she's amazing she um does a lot of work to do with, like refugees and stuff like that and like asylum seekers and I just think she's so clever and she she's again another just regular old person who I just know who puts all this information out and has all this passion and is like sort of fueled it into educating others and into helping other people um, understand more about what she cares about. So I think that was another person that just inspires me because she's always been so like hot on it and so passionate about teaching other people that you can't help but be around her and want to learn more about what it is that she's saying. So I think being around people like that is what um, is where I've learned the most is just people that make you want to, hear things from them and see like what it is that's made them passionate so yeah I think that answers the question I hope it does yeah it definitely does I think that's a really great response um I liked what you said what um how you use kind of social media to help um draw inspiration and like learn things from the people around you and like curating that perfect echo chamber which <laughs> I just it made me think of you know how people were saying like feeds going back to normal but like you can create your normal to look you know a lot better than it it, it did before which I think is important to know. Ava did you have anybody who comes to mind or any sort of source of, of information that comes to mind of where you've done like some of your learning? Um, I think like kind of the past two people have said um, once again I'm one of those people who cannot remember names and titles and things like that and I'm also probably one of the worst people to ask because I'm really bad at reading which is 
So I need to work on myself, like reading books. I just can't do it. So, but I would say that there has been just like, just like people I've met more so in passing as well, have like, we've met at like different events or conferences. And I'm always like, oh my God, I wish that I could do what they've done. And it's just even, I don't even always remember, like I said, I don't remember their names. I don't even always get their names. But it's, it's those kind of small meetings for me that really do kind of leave something profound on me. I mean, there's people like Greta Thunberg who are massive and they've done so much and blah, blah. But for me, like, they're so inspirational, but it's almost like at this point, I don't, it's so, it's unachievable for me at this point. So it's sometimes nice to see someone that is kind of at your level, just above your level or whatever, and just have those conversations to see kind of either is it how you can elevate your activism next or where you can turn off to if you can go to in a different direction. I think those are people are really interesting to talk to, to see ways to like change and stuff like that. So yeah, that would kind of be my thing. I'm sorry, I'm very short. I feel understand, but yeah. That's kind of what I would say. No, I completely agree. Like some of the best I've learning I've done is from just random people who you meet in passing and things like that. So I think that's it's not um, a source to be devalued. There's plenty of learning to be done from strangers who you just meet, like us through your comings and goings throughout life. So I definitely agree with that. Um, and kind of. How uh, do you think your activism has changed over time from when you started to maybe any pauses you've taken and how, how do you think it's evolved? So I think I'll ask Jess first, put you on the spot. Um, sorry. Um, I feel like, okay, with this question, it kind of comes to how do I define activism so I think I this has been a thing that's been like playing on my mind since we had the initial like conversation about being on this panel where you said like a youth activist and I was like oh that's what I am interesting how does this work so I think from there I just thought about the fact that okay maybe activism is like the small acts that you take part in in your everyday life and the small things that you do like within your homes within your friendship circles and things like that so I think if that's how I'm defining activism as being like small acts well, ranging from small acts to large acts. Then it's kind of like, okay, my activism was very personal at the beginning. It was very much sort of like, okay, what can I do within my friendship circles? What can I say within mm-hmm. this conversation? I just happened to be in like in this rehearsal room or like in the library. What am I going to say here that might make a difference or that might make somebody feel more comfortable because they're currently being attacked and I don't particularly like that. What am I going to do about that? So I think, yeah, it went from being personal and being small acts every day to being a actual planned effort to create something and to create a campaign and to make an actual, like, not make an actual change, but to actually target something specifically and say that this is what I'm working on, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to achieve it, I'm going to get people on side. Like, it became, once again, community, love the word. It became a community thing rather than an individual little things in my daily life. It was like, okay, cool, so, like, this is my group, and we're going to do, we're going to do some stuff. So I think that's my, that's been my change in my activism. Yeah. I really like that answer. Um, 
yeah, I really like it of, you know, what we define as activism. I think sometimes it seems like it has to be you change seven so policies and you do this and that. But um, you know, it can be it's the little things of having those conversations, those difficult conversations with people in in your own life. I really like that answer. Um, Katie, what how do you think your activism has changed like over time? Um, I think maybe it links into some of the stuff. I'm not like massive on social media, so I, this might not be what you were talking about, Ava, with your um, when you were talking about not a trend and like performative activism. I think maybe when I was younger, it was a mixture of like like kicking off um just naturally when people annoyed me or said something that I thought was offensive then I would definitely not be shy to like say something um but then I think I definitely like uplifted leaders of movements because I think often as a society we like to put someone in like the the person who led the movement but actually would then you find out that there were you know hundreds thousands of other people who were doing just as much work but didn't aren't necessarily like in the history books and I think I was led by ego a lot for like a long time actually of like I want to be um, seen as like a good person or someone who is like you know um, recognized for doing x y and z to make the world a better place and I think that just that it is what it is I think a lot of people feel like that and maybe that's part of the motivation for some of the things that feel more perform performative and then I think through doing direct action uh, and then it moved away from like those interpersonal um, kind of conversations, though they carried on to more strategic direct action. And then I was doing, I wasn't working in the area of social justice, but I was doing activism or direct action on the outside, more planning like how to occupy buildings, how to stage protests, how to um, demand meetings with uh, people in positions of authority, how to put on like events and discussions and that kind of stuff. And then I've now moved so that my paid job is more aligned to making change. Um, and I think I've moved back into a place of trying to have difficult conversations with the people in my life rather than being like oh I act this way with my family and this way with this group of friends and then I do my activism over there and trying to be like actually no start with the connections that I already have and try and enact some of those changes within those relationships so I think I've and I don't, don't care about anyone knowing what what I've done or, or who I am in the way that I maybe did when I was you know 18 19 20 so I think losing a lot of ego has been part of that process for me I really like the answer yeah I think definitely losing that whole thing of you know you have to be the figurehead of a movement and but then that has to be kind of separate from the discussions and conversations you have with you know the people who are closest to you and the people around you I think that's definitely really important Molly um kind of how has your activism changed over time um, I've had a similar-ish progression to Katie, so I don't want to kind of repeat um, the kind of things that she said too much. But I think generally, I, um, for me, I often think that we live in a world where we're pushed to think as in, of ourselves as individuals um, and that we have to act as an individual, we have to do as an individual. And I think that was something that I very much felt in my earlier 
years of like doing activism and like when I went into outreach work um kind of I, I think that I carried a lot of that that weight um of kind of doing outreach work basically on my own without um, very much line management um, and or support and feeling like I was the one that was responsible for everything and and very much felt like if I stopped doing the work it would all fall apart which kind of taps into some of the stuff again that Kate said earlier about um, the things that we learned from Adrian Marie Brown about kind of for example like the feel like if I, I stopped doing the work um, in that particular place, the work wouldn't happen. And I think um, joining groups of people where I've definitely been gently challenged in really beautiful and important ways that like that's not the case and that um, kind of stepping back is important especially as a white woman like stepping back and and doing kind of some of that that background work and kind of supporting in different ways and I think in terms of like where I'm at now with the organizing that I do it is it's so much slower it's so much more about the conversation with the people and I like I organized with a really wonderful friend of mine called Kelsey Mohammed who organizes with a group called Cradle Collective and also with Kate which is I always get it wrong I think communities against prison expansion but it might be communities act on prison expansion I can't remember which um but I think a lot of the ways that we organize together and that I've learned from organizing with her is taking the time to have a conversation and not rushing to do the organizing is so so essential and I think for me the rushing came from a place of individualization um and it's something that I've done a lot of like unlearning around um and I yeah I feel very grateful to her and to the people that have like supported me and that have encouraged me to do some individual learning um and I think yeah um I, yeah I feel very lucky to be in a place where I like sit sit I'm situated within a, a community that is so supportive so I think yeah that's been the journey thank you thank you for sharing that journey and that experience I think it's really helpful really useful um Ava, how do you think your, I know, um, how, do, how do you think your journey and your activism has changed from, I know you said you started around year seven to now? I mean, in year seven, it's probably quite simple in the fact that in year seven, I was doing things around school and it was kind of not, I was going to say, it was like things that would change very much kind of mundane school life, um, and that's kind of it stayed that way for quite a while obviously I'd want I'd talk about one of the more like feminism within the schools even though I went to a girls school questionable things within that school I went to um um more uh you know classes around sex education classes all that kind of stuff but um so yeah so that's probably moved on from when I went from like year eight to nine but it was very much and that kind of continued throughout my school career but definitely, I'd say my activism has changed most in quarantine. I think that's when I've had the biggest change within how my activism has worked. Obviously, I've, I've left, you know, secondary education now. Um, I've just finished that. And obviously, everything changed so much. I've had so much free time to do, like, nothing a lot of the time. 
So it really enabled me, not doing my GCSEs, um, enabled me to be able to get involved with so many more different campaigns and therefore set up my own with Simu, um, which I think is really exciting. And it kind of is like making the changes from, hey, I didn't do my GCSEs and that happened. But like, I think me personally, probably don't tell my teachers this, I think I got something so much more beneficial out of not doing them. So I think it's kind of changed from being quite um, often quite a lot of adult-led activism or like kind of small things to actually bigger things and actually having to, you know, do the things that you wouldn't have to do before and more than just listening to other people speak, being the person starting to speak as well has kind of changed as well. So yeah, i say that's kind of how my activism has changed in kind of very recent months. But, but yeah, that's kind of what I'd say. Yeah, definitely that like freedom and kind of being able to explore um, through not doing your GCSEs, like what what you can do and like um, fulfilling that potential that maybe you wouldn't have known before. And with that, us activism like evolves and changes, you kind of find your your niche or your fight. But I think when you first start out and like, being a young person, you kind of want to take on all the fights at once because just because you think that every, not everything is right, I don't want to say that all of society is wrong, but you know, quite a bit of it is wrong, and there are so many different fights and struggles, and you kind of want to do them all because you you care about everything um, at once. But how would you kind of find your like niche or your little your main fight, even if you choose something as big as like anti-racism? within that there's so many different subsections and everything so like, how do you find that specific part of and like identify like kind of kind of your main uh, fight and um, goals um katie i don't know if you had any ideas about that i think it it really does just take time but i don't think there was a way i could have come to what i do now any earlier because I think you have to try and see how it feels. A lot of it is connected to what um, burns the biggest fire in your belly, which will change as you go through life and experience different things. Um, so yeah, I've always just followed whatever it was that made me most rageful. But also, um, I think that you're right in the sense that most single issues or most single things that we're angry about will connect to some other campaign or struggle or issue or whatever you want to call it in some way and I think actually to hold that and be thinking of that right from the beginning of like how does this fight connect with other people's fights and how can we work together and how can what I do also um, or we're doing help to dismantle this other thing over here I think is actually really beneficial because I think when we just concentrate on one thing like this um, we don't affect as much change as we possibly could if we were reaching out and thinking about how it also linked um, with, with other issues as well so yeah that's a really wishy-washy answer but I feel like only like each person can know what it is that makes them want to which makes them draft emails in their head <laughs> whatever it is that's making you draft emails in your head to keep doing that <laughs> yeah I really I couldn't agree more definitely that idea of collaboration and the intersection I think if you have that approach from the start 
you know, you have, as you say, the facts will change. Um, Molly, did you have any kind of thoughts or tips or ideas around finding your kind of your main fight? Um, I think, yeah, knowing, taking the time to reflect on the things that not just light the fire, but also like that you're willing to like stand up for and like not set yourself on fire because I think there are massive problems with that framing, but like that, that you're willing to like stand up and, and shout for and and maybe put yourself on the line for if that is where you're at in your organizing or the things that like the things that you care about so much that you want to stand in the middle of a, a full party at the middle of the night and that's the thing that you're happy to talk about until the very very end like um I think for me I always knew that sexual violence was the thing that I was going to work on um, because of um, like lots of things that um, like lived experiences but also uh, like familial like generational trauma Um, so I think there's also something about like thinking is this an issue that I feel able to work on Um, like or is it too painful and I think it's okay as well sometimes for the thing to be too painful and for the lived experience to be too raw and to say no I can't work on this right now and it doesn't mean that it's not the thing that I care about and it's not the thing that lights my fire but it's the I'm not there yet and that's also I think I think it's fully 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 okay to not be there with the thing that you're most passionate about because doing this work is hard as I think every single person in this call will speak to like whether it's direct action whether it's sending emails whether it is pulling together like petitions online or kind of challenging people in meetings like that stuff is is painful and and if the thing that you're doing the work around there's still a lot of like really raw painful trauma there then there are there's a risk to you and I think again there's something about like finding the really difficult balance between like yeah putting yourself on the line but also valuing yourself and knowing your worth so I think just taking the time and also again like I think it's okay to try out lots of different things and maybe there's the thing that like you know is the thing that lights your fire but actually like so maybe it's for me I could say like maybe sexual violence was the thing that lit lit the fire in me but then maybe I went on and did anti-immigration work and I was like oh actually I really enjoyed this this work I find it really interesting and it taps into this other part of my brain and that's what happened I did anti-immigration work for a couple of years and like sexual violence took a backseat a wee bit and I think like it's okay to do different things and see and experiment and situate yourself in different organizing spaces just just as it is to situate yourself in just one I think that's definitely like such a great point of I think yeah you can try different things out without trying all those different things out at once you know so it it can take time very like that thank you um Jess did you have any thoughts or tips or ideas on around that honestly like most of what I would say probably echo what um Molly and Katie have said because they said it so perfectly I think yeah it's I think flexibility is key 
when it comes to like finding where you want to go with it because I I had no idea that this was a thing that I would do like at all that education was a thing that I would like racism in education was a thing that I would tackle like if you asked me five months ago I would have said probably not I've got other things that I'm trying to do right now so like you know leave it to someone else but I think it's like at a point the fire lights like in your belly and you're like okay cool like I do want to do the work on this like this is something that I want to work on right now so it's like okay you can do that but if something else comes along that you also feel equally as passionate for then yeah like do that be flexible be open to learning be open to like expanding your knowledge on different like areas and don't like shut yourself off from something because you think oh I don't know enough yet like the emphasis is on the word yet like you can know enough you can learn about that and then do the work there if it's something that you care about enough so I think yeah flexibility is key because if I was not flexible I would not be on this panel and I would not be doing that campaign at all like very unexpected so yeah I think be open to all possibilities Thank you. Really, I think that's very useful, and definitely, I definitely agree with that. All of that. Um, Ava, what what were your thoughts, tips about you know finding that passion or not finding that passion? I would say for finding that passion, I feel once again I probably will echo what everybody else has said, but I'd say it's just about just just looking and being so interested in like what is going on what I know I said you've got to take your break to um to not avoid burnout but making sure that you are updated because one day and it is about letting yourself get angry I think that's so important if you don't let yourself get angry about something in the world then you won't find your passion you won't find what you're interested in and you won't understand that how important that is to you like I know that um sexism it makes me so angry and like putting barriers up for different people it just makes me so angry and upset and that's like why I want to like work towards stopping it and that's why I put so much time and effort and headspace and thought into you know and my whole TikTok for you page is completely filled up with like uh, you know just absolute politics and stuff and then yeah and it's just that makes me that makes me feel like I'm like because as they as I believe that Molly said it's about finding your work but I think it's so important for me to find my worth through doing the stuff that it makes me feel as a person that because the society doesn't take my worth at the moment but if I can do something to make society see me as worthy then that makes me so happy and that makes me feel so passionate about it that's what I say is letting myself get angry about things so yeah that's a really great answer yeah thank you thank you for sharing that and once I guess you found um kind of your your fight or your fight for that moment whether it will change or not i know you've touched on this um previously and you've all like shared but kind of what sort of activist methods have you used because there are many different ways for you to kind of uh change things or share, share your views and things like that so like what sort of methods have you used that you found um especially helpful that other people can kind of get into like what sort of channels um, I think I'll ask Molly, that's all right. Yeah, so um, I guess there are a number of different types or methods of, of activism that I've like, been involved in and sometimes still involved in. So like frontline work, I, I class it as activism. Some people don't, but I think it is, absolutely. Um, 
And I think if that's something that anyone is like interested in getting involved in, it's just about like checking in with support services and seeing if there's an opportunity to either like volunteer or take on like small, um, smaller, like smaller roles or even like full time roles. Like, um, I think the other types of like uh, activism that I've been involved in, I've done a lot of like, I, I think activism can be activism too, um, like writing and researching, I think can be really transformative if it's done in ways that are accessible and centre the voices and needs of the people that matter the most. Um, and I, I, I try to do that type of work. Um, and if there are people that kind of young people that are looking into that, that being the way that they do activism, I think provided it's balanced in ways that I, like, I think it can be so, so powerful. My, the, the type of the activism that I have the most complicated relationship with, I think is probably um, direct action because when you're doing the thing um, and building up to the thing, there's so much energy and um, like when you're storming a red carpet or occupying a space or ad hacking kind of bus stops, um, it feels so powerful and you feel so powerful. And it's something that um, I never thought I would do. Um, and I think to get involved in that type of work, it's just a matter of finding the groups that speak to what you want to organize around in terms of direct action. So like Sisters Uncut um, are always like looking for people to kind of be involved. Then like abolitionist groups, I think like CAPE again, do such incredible work around this. And I think are like, they're one of the, the, the only direct action groups doing work on um, against prison expansion in the UK. And there are so many other like incredible groups that do direct action, like SOAS detainee support, um, who do some like incredible like anti-deportation slash anti-immigration work um, or like pro-immigration work. Um, and I guess like the other types of direct action that I was most recent or the other types of activism that like both Katie and I did work around most recently was supporting um, a group of young people to create an an amazing space and I think actually that that really shifted the ways that I like saw activism um so they were they're called iconic and um with a cue at the end and they created a space for queer young people of color with or without faith and it was one of the most like beautiful transformative spaces and really showed me that actually sometimes like winning is isn't just like getting Southwark to remove all of their immigration officers from services which we did in Sisters sometimes winning is creating a really loving caring space for a few hours um, I hope that answers your question I think it was a tiny bit rambly no no it definitely answered my question thank you I really like I, I really appreciate that answer. I really like it. Um, yeah, the def there's definitely different um, kind of routes and different ways um, to kind of affect changes you want to see, and that can look different as well. Um, Jess, did you have any, like, what sort of different um, methods have you used within the past couple of months in the past? I think you've touched on it before, but is there any other ways? Um, yeah, like, it's 
it was organizing a group, finding a community of people that wanted to also get on board with it and then organizing it to write a letter, to do research. A lot of reading was done, a lot of like um, research into education and how to like properly try and decolonize like school, like secondary school education um, and how the education system actually works because I did not know other than what it was to be a student in school, like how education works in the like, from the teaching side of things, from the perspective of like governors and stuff. So yeah, that was, that was part of it. The petition publicly, like public campaigns, writing to newspapers and stuff and trying to get it like more out there was part of the activism. In terms of like things that I've taken part in previously, like it would be like art kind of stuff. So like putting on protest theatre or like writing plays and like being in plays that um, touch on topics that you wanted to obviously that you obviously had a passion for that you wanted to protest about if you know what I mean so I think yeah it was like arts using that as a method was previously my way of going about it and like taking part in shows that touched on topics that I felt I was quite passionate about and things that needed to be changed um and yeah that's that's my methods of activism I feel like I'm fairly new to the game when it comes to organizing stuff myself so that's where I've been at with that yeah, I really like that, and I think the arts are such a useful method for, for um, sharing the like activist campaigning message to get political to talk about issues as well. And I think it's definitely it's one that's oft, sometimes overlooked, but I think it's really it can be really useful and like really powerful. Um, Ava, were there any what sort of methods have you used um, in the past and are currently using? Um. I'd say definitely during this time, this time keeps passing us, meetings on Zoom, Zoom I've been using so much and just going to all of those Eventbrite, um, sorry I've got a little cold, it's definitely not Corona but yeah, um, uh, going to like um, different Zoom meetings, um, yeah that's probably the main one and then from there meeting different people, I mean when quarantine was lifted slightly I know we went to a few kind of rallies and protests I think that's a great way to meet people even previously I've met like some of my like really good friends at protests and um rallies and like met them through there and I think it's so amazing I remember I met one of my friends uh one of the UKCN protests and it was literally she was asking me a question now we talk about all the time we have very different experiences at school because she was actually privately educated and how she feels about private education system obviously her views on she does not believe in it at all even though she goes to one and yes quite but it's really interesting to get these conversations going and seeing different people so i'd say for me it's meeting different people talking to different people and just getting involved with as, as much as possible yeah that's what i would say Lovely, thank you. And like meeting those people takes can take your activism to activism in like so many different directions. You never know who you're going to meet that's going to introduce you to this new thing or this new concept. So I think it's definitely important. Katie, what sort of um, uh, methods and uh, channels have you used in the past? Um, I think the 
yeah, like everyone said, the first step has always been to find other people who either are feeling the same thing or looking up groups that are already doing work around something before kind of, yeah, starting to a new campaign. Um, but there's so many different things, I think, that like people can do. I've also learned a lot from... Um, protest plays and like protest art and um all of that good stuff which definitely gets undermined like in the activist scene even though most direct action is a form of art within itself so i think yeah definitely good to like uplift that as a way of um i was going to say like consciousness raising which i believe to mean just like chatting to other people with the same experience as you but was was named or called consciousness raising a long time ago very famously in the civil rights movement very famously and um then used after that by uh like feminists in like 70s and 80s so just like being like oh that happens to you as well me too should we do something about it and then deciding what you're gonna do um so yeah protests are like the most obvious form but also like putting on events like Molly said where people can just connect with each other um, and plan people remember how they felt and I think what's really important is that when you are in an organizing space that you are kind of like identifying people that are maybe new or nervous or not talking as much or who aren't taking up as much space and making it your work to connect with those people um, because there's a lot of people that don't stay in movements and I think it's because kind of like the same social structures that happen everywhere tend to like be replicated and then it means we lose people that really we need in order to make the changes we want to see and so we're being really mindful of making those connections but then of course like using this is not something that I do but I know that you can make a lot of change through social media um ad hacks um like you said like emailing the boss uh like bombing them with emails going to the press is a great one I think like you said just like public shaming does wonders for people to actually um meet your demands um and then like another thing is like working the system so within your roles and your jobs that you do and whatever there will be ways that you can work the system to help other people and you should but also know your rights so what I mean by that is that in various roles that I've had Molly knows a story like we had vouchers for people who needed like a bit extra or whatever so I would just steal the vouchers and just give people more than they needed because I knew that I wasn't probably going to get found out but I also was aware of what my rights would be and also had a good relationship with my colleagues and obviously have a certain amount of like privilege in the way that I present to be able to get away with that so I also think that part of um a really important part of activism if you're going to be doing stuff which is like outside of the realms of the rules or against the law is that everyone involved has to know what their rights are especially in terms of um potential arrest and also I think that everyone there needs to understand what their responsibility is and how um yeah if we should be put especially if we are white that we should be putting our like bodies in place of people who are going to be just 
disproportionately targeted by police. And so really making sure that people feel cared for and looked after and that we're taking responsibility to keep everyone there safe. Because I know that sometimes when things happen fast, it's just like, let's get as many people here as possible. But then there's dangerous situations come up and not everyone necessarily feels that they were looked after or given the right information about what risk there was. And so I think really having those discussions as well is a, is a great way of a learning and educating ourselves on what our rights are, but also creating a community of care as well. I really agree. Yeah, creating that like um, community and making sure that you know everyone's safe, but using uh, different privileges and different powers that people within the group have to kind of like exploit that. And then I know, yeah, with what you're saying, people going away from movements because sometimes they can feel quite intense or there's like the effects of like gatekeeping and things like that. So creating that like nice safe space, I think is really important. So I'll just go on to the last question before we open up to um, questions from if anyone has any questions and because we're nearing the end of the session. Um, kind of what do you think your activism and activism in general will look like in the future coming post lockdown going to the, from the end of this year to next year like what do you think what do you think the landscape will look like um, so i think i'll ask jess um i know sorry <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting one um activism of the future coming out of lockdown i think yeah it's gonna be a lot a lot more online stuff than before like i feel like that's quite a generic kind of basic answer to the question but i do feel like there's gonna be a lot more online stuff because it's not necessarily like a in terms of accessibility it makes a lot more sense to do things online because i think having all of these sort of like meetings in person sometimes is quite ableist in a way because it's like not everyone can actually access these spaces so i think having these online um panels these online organizations these online sort of conversations allows for more people to be involved than ever before so i think that's one thing that i think yeah zoom will probably be like a, a strong feature in activism for like a long time um come, like after lockdown and whatnot is like eased properly I think, um, again, social media will keep being the massive beast that it is in terms of people like organising and making communities and meeting people on there. I think as well, um, individual and like smaller act like groups of activists will probably be more common. Like I think I'm seeing a lot more people realising their own power and realising their own organisational power like within their own smaller communities and within like their friendship groups, um, which I think previously wasn't really a thing I think again like I can't remember who said it but someone mentioned about having like a figurehead and how that was a thing that a lot of um activist groups have is that sort of figurehead or the two people that are like the top dogs and everyone else kind of just sort of organizes around them so I think people are starting to move away from that structure more and more and starting to sort of understand that okay you don't need the one big figurehead of the movement like that we are all leading the movement together we're all a part of it and everybody's necessary in order for it to work so i think yeah a lot more um smaller organizations a lot more like individual breakout like sort of movements and acts of activism will occur in the future post coronavirus i think yeah definitely i agree with you i think yeah more grassroots and like smaller community movements are on the rise 
and are affecting changes within their community and wider society as well. Um, Molly, what were your thoughts on like the activist landscape, your, your plans for your future activism, all that sort of stuff? In terms of the activist landscape, I agree with a lot of the stuff that Jess says, and it makes what you were saying made me think of, um, there was an article that came out by Arundhati Roy, who's one of my favorite writers, um, towards the beginning of the pandemic. And she said that the pandemic is a portal. And I think that that has been felt so, so plainly, but also painfully across the world. Um, and I think that the rippling impacts of the pandemic in terms of organizing are both positive, but also deeply, deeply pain, painfully negative. Um, and I think, in terms of like how I how I have this, I'm a, I'm an optimistic pessimist um, in all of the, the ways that I view things, and I think I have this deep hope that um, there'll be a a massive movement towards community organising in ways that we haven't seen since the 70s and 80s, and I think I feel that hope because of the ways in which the um, I live in SE15 London um, and the ways that mutual aid and within this area has hasn't it hasn't just been white which I was really I think uh, you know so many were worried about that happening at the beginning like the it was very much performative at the beginning there were lots of people being incredibly performative and joined there were like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in groups and no one doing anything and people just in there for the the panache and the like the tick I'm in this group but I, there's also been a real integration over the last like two months of people who've been doing mutual aid work for years and like those groups are um they're predominantly like black caribbean communities and black african communities who've been doing that work for decades because the state has let those communities down so routinely so often and i think my hope is that that the kind of this merging of of the communities that have been doing work for decades around mutual aid and the, the communities and people who are like have been doing social different types of social justice work will continue to stay together and the all community organizing will become really localized because I think actually one of the ways that we can really transform the worlds that we live in are by making by doing that really like hyper local work because it's like prefiguration and which is like creating the worlds that we want to see and if we create the world that we want to see within our very hyper local community we can then push for it to move outwards I'm also mindful that like, you know, it's really hard to do that and people are busy and I'm, I, I fear that when the pandemic is over, the world will return to where it was before. Um, but I hope that things will stay online more because of what you were saying, Jess, about the importance of it for disability justice and just like community organizing. And um, in terms of like my own activism, like, um, I, like I hope to continue to be really deeply embedded in the, the community that I'm within and I think we've been having some conversations recently within Sisters Uncut about like how we can how we can continue to do the work in ways that is more localized than we've been recently a lot of our campaigns recently have been national so um like the most the biggest of them were like around the domestic violence and abuse bill and around the general election and actually like we will make transformative change if we embed ourselves in our community so i think that's my hope
I think that's really great. Yeah, the power of community, I think, is hopefully, it's been on the rise throughout the pandemic and hopefully will continue to be on the rise and that, um, you know, things won't go back to the way they were, which is, I think, one of the main um, dangers and the main worries. Um, Katie, did you have any um, thoughts on, you know, what the activist landscape will look like, what you'll be doing, um, sort of what activism is going to be like post lockdown and then next year and going looking into the future? Um, yeah, I think definitely, of course, things we've found out that you can get more people together if you do it online and it's way more accessible. Um, and it's wild that we weren't having more meetings over Zoom. Um, I like you can't replace, I guess, the energy that you get um, from the connection in, in the space, but at the same time, um, you can replace about 90% of it, <laughs> which will do if it means that we can get more people um, represented in the organising that we do. Um, I, what I wrote down was, um, I feel like we're revisiting the power of striking and withdrawing um, our participation within um, capitalism, but also uh, various institutions in order to make a point about anything. And I think, uh, Ava, you were saying about like looking up to people like um, uh, Thumb, Thumb, Thumbberg. But for me, it's something about like coming back to the idea and the, the issues with having a figurehead because anyone who has striked on a Friday from school has done as much as Greta Thunberg and also there are people who will have risked more, who will have not had supportive parents, who will not have had a film camera there, who might have got into trouble, who are more likely to be stopped when they are not in school, more likely to be punished for chewing in than, than maybe Greta Thunberg is and that is not to undermine how awesome Greta Thunberg is but also that anyone who was stri striked on a Friday is as valuable and is as awesome as Greta Thunberg, even if there wasn't necessarily a camera in that person's face. And so I think there's something about how we return to valuing everyone in the collective, because when we don't, that is why people think, well, why bother? Because I'm not being as valued as everybody else and I'm doing the exact same thing. And so I feel so disheartened. And so uplifting ourselves and uplifting other people for how scary it is to actually disengage with the status quo and to disengage with the authority and to know that there may be a negative consequence for ourselves by doing X, Y and Z is something that is hard to do to do and we need support from ourselves but also the people around us to do that so yeah i'm really hoping for more strikes i'm very into trade unions at the moment it's a new thing for me i never really fully understood what a trade union was until i formed one <laughs> um but i'm loving it um and i think it's good to have to be represented so as you go into your workplaces um, as you yeah, decide whatever it is that you want to do, I think falling back on striking and just withdrawing yourself from the entire shebang is amazing. And that's definitely working around like withdrawing our consumption as well, right? Of saying, I'm not going to shop from that brand um, or I'm going to tweet that brand so that people don't buy their stuff as much is making people act and do stuff differently. And I think there's real power, um, power in that. Um, and each of us doing that as an individual is, is the only way that that will happen as a, as a collective. So I do really believe in that. Um, and then more personally, I think, it, like I've been banging on about, is more my own process. So I don't really know what I will do, but I'm trying to get rid of what a lot of people are calling like the cop in my head 
of um, the ways in which I myself are like moved to punishment or maybe moved to cancelling or I know best or putting myself in a role of, of, of more than for whatever reason and trying to do the work within um, to move past that and think about how I should be able to sit with absolutely anyone and work through our differences, harms that they've caused to me, the ways that I might have harmed somebody else, because that is really the only way that we're all going to truly move forward together. And so a lot of my immediate work will, I guess, be doing that with myself and the people around me um, before I do anything else. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's, I agree with everything you said there about the power of striking and the power of withdrawing from what um, and diminishing that power that um, society has over people by just completely withdrawing from it and again that sort of internal um, growth and reflection that is kind of key as well um, as we said earlier from that burnout I think all that whole process of changing how you think as well will help to um, increase the longevity of like any actions you take. Um, Ava what are your thoughts on activism in the future, your own activism, things like that? Well, I think that basically similar to what everyone else is saying, um, definitely the move to online activism more. But for me personally, probably more organising as well. Definitely looking at making more of these kind of events um, in person and out person, more outreach work, getting more people involved in activism, teaching more people who, because I think it's really easy to talk to a room full of people who love activism and love, you know, kind of think the same way as you. But um, I really want to start looking at, for me personally, talking to a wider range of people. And that could be from me having to, because I'm going to a new school, but um, having those conversations challenging them as I'm moving from like a girls' school to a mixed school. So I think a lot of people at a girls' school will probably agree, not all, but um, feminism is kind of important but I don't know how that's going to be at a mixed school that might be a very different situation it's going to be challenging for me to maybe not be as well liked as I previously was at my other school and actually having those conversations with I mean with other people about these different things and I think even those conversation-based activism is so important it's something I have kind of you know, you kind of missed a bit during um, quarantine, but I think it's really important to maybe not even changing someone's mind, but planting, like, it's such a cliche statement, but planting that seed, but um, to say, like, look, this is wrong and all of this and challenging behaviours I see. Oh, that's another thing I want to be challenged. Do more challenging behaviours I see to, to myself, but to other people as well, whether that's on the streets, online, whatever, just to change. So kind of, the big things being organising more things like like what somebody's organised today or and definitely obviously on Corona's over going to more protests because I really miss doing that really want to do that but definitely doing more of those kind of small um, activist kind of moves that I couldn't do during um, Corona because I didn't have the social interaction to as such and actually valuing them more so as well. So I think I often forget to value those things as well. So that would be how I'm changing and see the future for me. Yeah, I really like that because I think as much as we talk about echo chambers on social media, you kind of get that in your friendship groups and your social groups as well. 
of like this whole you like preaching to the con- already converted so it's kind of having those conversations with people who might think differently even if you don't change their minds but i think sometimes it's about whoever's listening to that conversation you might change their minds even if it's not the direct person you're arguing with like who is seeing that conversation who might like think about something differently um just before we're nearly running out of time i would just ask if anyone had any questions or comments anything like that and if not uh oh sophie just wanted to say thank you for a fantastic um session it was brilliant thank you so much Thank you. I, yeah, I want to say thank you to everyone who came and all the panellists. Thank you to all of you. I think this has been really useful. Um, I hope you guys have found it useful. You've enjoyed it because I have. Um, so thank you very much. And again, the audio will be recorded so it can be shared as well so other people can listen to it. Um, as well as that, there's also more events on the Freedom to Learn website. Um, I think there's one at five um, about educational policy and there's also a passion pitch event on Sunday to come to spread your views but otherwise we'll wrap up there but thank you again to all the panellists um, I think this will be really useful for people who want to get into activism other young people who want to get into activism and um, the things you've linked I think we'll try and save the chat and then all the books and um, links you've shared. We'll try and um, share that as well. So thank you and everyone have a good day. Thank you, bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.